Well, Lord, help me as I preach this message, I pray, and help us to hear this message. Lord, would you bring your, just your attentiveness to this room? Would you cause hearts to take this word seriously? Would you bring a, a stillness to this room that only you can bring? Would you open up ears that have been stopped up and deaf for years, maybe all their life? Would you soften hearts that have been hardened, perhaps, by the trials of this life? Would you open eyes that have been blind or see dimly? Yeah, give them gospel lenses right now. Um, By your Spirit, anoint me to be faithful to your word. For, Lord Jesus, you are speaking through your word to your people. You're building your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's our confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the title of this message this morning is God Opens a Door of Faith. God Opens a Door of Faith. So please turn to Acts chapter 14. We're going to preach the whole chapter, but I want to just read verses 24 to 28. So go to Acts chapter 14, verse 24. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. Let me encourage you to get a Bible out, open it. Uh, Don't be embarrassed if you don't know much about the Bible. That's wonderful. Today's a new day. Today you start learning about it. And The the book of Acts is the book uh, that is written by Luke, who was a physician. He was Greek. And he he wrote a history of what the risen Lord Jesus did and said through his disciples. It's called Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is a a history of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Luke is writing now in Luke 14 about the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas took. But let's read first the text, Acts chapter 14. It's the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And uh, chapter 14, verse 24. Here we go. Then they, this is Paul and Barnabas, they're at the end of the first missionary journey. They've been traveling for two years We'll see a map in just a moment. They've been traveling for two years in the area that we would see as the Mediterranean, sort of Syria, the island of Cyprus, and modern-day Turkey. They've been traveling for two years preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're passing now back home. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. That's in modern-day Turkey. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch. So they sailed from Turkey to Syria where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So they went back to the sending church. Verse 27, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And here's the key. Here's where I got the title of the message from. And how, and how he, God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remain no little time with the disciples. With the disciples. Tomorrow, April the 15th, 2013, will be the 66th anniversary of the day that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier by being the first black baseball player in the major leagues. He broke in on April 15th, 1947. Now, reading from a a World Magazine article about the movie, it says the following. 
A new generation of Americans is about to discover the man who broke Major League Baseball's color, bar color barrier. Before Rosa Parks, Freedom Riders, and Martin Luther King Jr., there was Jackie Robinson. The new Warner Brothers film, 42, represents the life of Jackie Robinson. It also describes his story through Branch Rickey, the iconic Los Angeles Dodgers general manager who selected Robinson from among the many talented Negro League players in 1946. Rickey bellowed, he's a Methodist, I'm a Methodist, God's a Methodist, we can't go wrong. <laughs> Not sure about the last one. In fact, I'm pretty sure God isn't a Methodist. <laughs> Branch Rickey's early proclamation sets up a key theme throughout the role of faith for both men. Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson were devout Christians. And 42, the movie entitled 42, doesn't diminish that fact. Academy Award-winning writer and director Brian Hegland said, illustrating their faith wasn't an accident, nor was it exaggerated. Robinson, quote, felt like he was destined for this role, that God had picked him to go out and do this. That belief gave him a lot of strength to get through it all. The director shows Robinson pausing to pray before walking onto the field with the Dodgers for the first time. But he had to cut an expensive nighttime train scene showing Robinson praying for strength. Quote, he prayed on his knees every night before he went to bed. His widow, Jackie, uh, his widow Rachel, who is 90 years old, was one of the consultants on the movie. Now, I want to read this next article about what it meant for Jackie Robinson to break the color barrier. This is from the ESPN. Latin American ballplayers have been playing in the big leagues since the start of the 20th century. But there is one event, one that happened 60 years ago, now 66 years ago, that opened the flow of Hispanics into Major League Baseball. It's the collapse of the racial barrier. When Jackie Robinson made his debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers on April 15, 1947, not only did he break the hateful barrier that existed in Major League Baseball against African Americans, but he also opened the door to all minority players, especially Latin Americans. What Robinson, this is quoting now, what Robinson did was great because he opened the doors for us all, said Cuban Hall of Famer Tony Perez. Like black Americans, we black Latinos couldn't play until after Robinson made his debut he freed all of us, Perez added. So what does this have to do with our message today? Here's what it has to do with the message today. If you believe Jackie Robinson, the Lord chose him to open the door for blacks, Hispanics, minorities to play in Major League Baseball in 1947. Not insignificant. Historic. We should celebrate that. He was a Christian man. He was a Christian man, but far more significant for the history of mankind, far more significant for our history. God chose Paul and Barnabas to open a door of faith to the Gentiles in mass in Acts chapter 14. Something unique is being described in Acts chapter 14. When these two men return to their home church, two years after they were sent out on mission with the gospel, God, God the Holy Spirit, had so filled them to preach the gospel of the resurrected Lord Jesus. The Trinity is working. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, sending these men out. 
and opening through them a door of faith to the Gentiles. Opening a door of faith to us, their children in the faith. A door of faith that no opposition, no man, no government, no demon from hell could close. And that's the main point here of the message this morning. The resurrected Lord Jesus opens a door of faith that no man can shut. The resurrected Lord Jesus opens a door of faith that no man can shut. Listen, it was difficult for Jackie Robinson to break in. It was horribly difficult. And things didn't get a whole lot better after that for a long time for minorities in Major League Baseball. There was opposition. There, was, there, were, there were slurs thrown at him. There was a violence. It was difficult. A lesser man would have quit. But a door was opened that was never shut again. And so in our text this morning, God wants us to see that though he used in a special, redemptive, historical manner these two men over 2,000 years ago to open this door of faith to the Gentiles, God continues to use his people today to open doors of faith to those around us. God opens the door, but he uses my mouth, your mouth. He uses our feet, our hands, our actions, our love, our courage to open doors of faith that no man can shut because God is sovereign. Look, I know there's opposition. When you're sitting here this morning, you might be feeling some of that opposition. Jackie Robinson certainly felt opposition. Paul and Barnabas, lots of opposition. We're going to get to that in a moment. But here's the question for you. What is the opposition you're feeling? Now, I I tried to capture that last week. I did a poor job of it. If you were here last week at the end of the message, (laughs) you would have heard me say something like, Hey, guys. Stand fast in the Lord because Jesus is risen and I want you to root your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I quoted, I quoted a passage from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It's a great passage. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast and movable. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't quit. Why? Because your work in the Lord is not in vain. What I was trying to capture on resurrection morning is that oftentimes we can feel like our work's in vain. A door is open, but it's really hard to get that door open. There's opposition is trying to get it open. We can forget God's opening it. And then when we walk through it, we're going to get opposition on the other side of it. And I was trying to capture that last week. I I think I said something like, we feel like there's a malaise. Not malaria, but malaise. They're different. A stagnation. What I want to clarify is, I don't feel like that's the case for us as a church as a whole. I wasn't saying that about Palm Vista. There's there's nothing wrong in that sense. As a matter of fact, I feel like we're a very healthy church. But I was trying to talk about it individually. I I felt like I needed to seize upon that momentum, root our hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we then talk about today a door that God is opening of faith in the midst of opposition. This passage is about opposition. But the bigger theme is about the door of faith that God is opening. 
But, but I wanted to acknowledge, I wanted to try to connect with you this morning. I know there's opposition. I, I tried to do that last week. I want to try to do it again today. I'm not talking about the church as a whole. I'm talking about you individually. What is that opposition for you? I mean, we know what it was for Jackie Robinson. We're going to read what it was for Paul and Barnabas. But, you know, none of us are breaking the racial barrier in the Major League Baseball. We're not. Okay? None of us are going to be stoned, in other words, rocks thrown at our heads until they thought we were dead and carry us outside. No, that's not going to happen to us. At least I hope it doesn't happen to me today. None of us are going to be uh, seen as Greek gods who came to a city because God used one of us to heal somebody. And no, none of us are going to have people you know, trying to offer bulls and goats at our feet and worship us as a god. We may want them to worship us as a God, but that's not going to happen to us. But how does opposition come to us? See, this text is about opposition. How does it come to you? I know it comes to me in the form of when I don't get what I expect or I desire. That was last week's message. Hope. Hope is when you expect or desire something. But what happens when that thing that you expect or desire is denied or it's delayed? That's opposition. Uh, Opposition comes from my own flesh at times. A perfect example. Let let me give you an example of the opposition. Okay, Last Wednesday, community group night. Uh, I was particularly tired. Uh, I forget what was happening, but I was just particularly tired. And, I, and I, was, I was kind of running a little bit late on a couple of things, so I kind of just settled into the couch, and I was working, and I don't know, some music was playing or something, or truth you know, maybe I was watching sports out of the other side of my, you know, at one eye, you know, and I was just enjoying, it was mellow, I was having a meal, it was about 7.15, and the thought just wafted through my head, it's like, I don't want to get in the car, <laughs> drive, you know, we drive really far, like three minutes to community group, Okay. And it's like, and you know, let's be honest, right? You just have this feeling like, I love everybody there, but eh, will there be some drama there? Is someone going to pull me aside? Is, you know, what's going to happen during the meeting? You know, just that shock of just being with people and having to give yourself, right? I mean, don't look at me like that. We all have those thoughts, right? (laughs) Like, oh, are you a Christian? You're the pastor. You think that way. Yeah, I'm the pastor. I think that way. Let's be honest, shall we? That's opposition, isn't it? And so I thought, but and here, here's the thought, but I know that after I go, when I come home, I'm always like, thank the Lord that I went. It's like when you're going to go serve somebody, you don't want, you're kind of complaining as you go do it. Then you do it and you come home and go, that was great. Then the next day, you know, you're just like, I don't want to serve anybody anymore. <laughs> it is true. It's better to give than receive. But we have to, f- do you see what, what I'm talking about with opposition? That's what I was trying to get at last week. Now, there can also be opposition. And thank the Lord. It was, listen, that, that community group last week, guys, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. You asked those who were there. The Holy Spirit just came and moved amongst us. I, I, Sergio had just had a, a co-worker of his die the evening before. Uh, he came aplastado. <laughs> just, he was sad. He'd been counseling people at work because he's a believer. Everybody's coming to him. They're crying. I mean, he was just exhausted. Um, we were praying for the family and friends of Caesar and Anna Mestre, whose sad story, a Christian man who looks like he's going to pass away. And, and has, is he still with us? 
Okay, but he's gravely ill. Apart from the Lord miraculously healing him, he will not make it. Okay, so that's heavy on us. And Sergio started leading us. We started talking about the message, rooting our hope in the resurrection. Yay! You know, it's like, and I'm telling you, we started praying and the Spirit of God fell upon us, and we started praying for each other and encouraging each other, and God was giving us words for one another, and it was, it was like, wow, and then we sang this song. I hadn't heard it for many years about, you can only imagine that song about heaven, and we're just crying, and you, know, at the, and you just walk out, you're going like, what, a, what an idiot I would have been had I stayed home by myself. <laughs> Watch the sitcom. Oh, that fed my soul. <laughs> but rather, God... I, but do you understand the opposition to get there? You get that, guys? Okay, that's what we're trying to see here. The world opposes us. The world says you're crazy for giving your money. The world says to Corey Smidgen, listen, Smidgen, what, what are you talking about up there? <laughs> He's trying to get me to give my money, right? <laughs> and give it away now? <laughs> you know, it's like, a, that sounds great, Corey. You know? And the world just mocks us. It says, go, go lease that Beautiful car for $439 a month. Don't give a tithe. That tithe could lease the beautiful car you want. Okay, again, you're looking at me like, at least that thought's gone through my mind every once in a while. (laughs) Right? That's the world opposing us. And then Satan can oppose us. That's, I think, another thing I was trying to capture last week. I do believe as a church there have been satanic attacks and oppositions. Satan personally, I'm not saying that. Demonic activity, I I think so. Just weird stuff. I don't say that to scare anybody, but just, it's like my flesh is already opposing me, but then the world is screaming at me lies to believe, and they all look pretty good. And then I think the enemy of our soul, demonic forces can kind of gang up on that as well. Jesus overcame all of that. But you understand it's a fight, do you get that? Those are our three enemies. Satan, demonic forces, the world, and the flesh. So this passage is about God opening a door of faith that no man, no demon, no government, no force, nothing can close. But it's going to be a fight, church. It's going to be a fight. And so Paul and Barnabas go back to their church, the sending church in Antioch, And they describe how God opened the door and the fight that took place. So let's see the map there. They returned to their church in Antioch, which is up here in Syria. There's two Antiochs, but it's the one on the right here in Syria. So they returned to that church after being gone for two years. And they basically have been telling them how God opened this door of faith to the Gentiles. They started with what God did in Cyprus. And you would find that story in Acts chapter 13, verses 5 to 12. And then they told them how they sailed up to this area called Atalia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Lycia, Galatia, and that Antioch there at the top, it's called Pisidian Antioch, and told them what happened there, and we preached on that in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 52. And so today, we're going to pick up their narrative. We're going to pick up their story of how God opened a door. It's it's the Jackie Robinson story, but this is a far greater story. It's the story of how the Lord Jesus Christ opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And that's the story we pick up today in Acts chapter 14. Because now he's going to tell them, these two men are going to tell them, 
how God opened the door of faith in Galatia. You know the book of Galatians? Well, these are the churches in Galatia. It starts in the church of Iconium, up there, where it says Galatia just below it. It moves down to the church of Lystra, just about maybe 10 miles away. And then it moves over to the church at Derby, there in the eastern part of Galatia. So he's going to tell that story. So he's going to, we're going to pick up that account. And the main point of the story is this. It's the story of redemption. It's the history of redemption where the Holy Spirit empowered Paul and Barnabas to preach Jesus to these regions with the result of large masses of Gentiles being saved. Do you remember Bentley's message when he preached the last few verses of chapter 13? That the problem that happened to them up in Pisidian Antioch is after they preached this wonderful uh, message, this wonderful sermon, Corey preached on that sermon, God moved in such a powerful way that everybody in the city came to the synagogue the next Sunday. And the Jews got really jealous. And they ran them out of town. And so we heard in, in Bentley's message three weeks ago that they were run out of town, but they left with joy. They left full of the Holy Spirit. Because God was using them to reach that entire region with the word of God. He was opening a door in mass to the Gentiles. Now, here are some questions that are going to drive the sermon. Here are some driving questions for the sermon. Number one, how did God open a door of faith through Paul and Barnabas? And what did it mean for them to walk through it? And then question number two, How does God open a door of faith through us? And what would it mean for us to walk through it? Listen, when they walked through that door of faith, their lives were never the same. When Jackie Robinson walked through that door, when he walked on that field on April 15, 1947, and the door was open to minorities in the major leagues, his life was never the same. Never the same. And God is calling us to have faith that through us he's going to open a door of faith. And that will mean for us, when we walk through that door and we're used in that way, our lives will never be the same. But let's look at the first question. Point one, how did God open a door of faith through Paul and Barnabas and what did it mean for them to walk through it? Well, look at chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So right there, a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. A door of faith is being opened. There's a large number of Jews and Greeks that are being saved. This is a redemptive historical marker. It's not less than that. I want to preach that. But I want us to think about us today as well. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews, here we go, here comes the opposition, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, the word of his grace, the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So how did God open the door of faith through Paul and Barnabas? They spoke the word of grace. God confirmed the word through signs and wonders. And a great number were saved in Iconium. How did God open this door of faith through Paul and Barnabas? We'll skip down to verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. 
He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Now, what he heard Paul speaking was the gospel. It's the word of grace. If you go back in Acts, it's the word about Jesus Christ. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, verse 10, said in a loud voice, I love that, in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprung up and he began walking. Now remember, this guy had never walked before. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, let me explain that. And then they called Barnabas Zeus, who was the big buff god, and they called Paul Hermes, who was the one that did all the talking. Now, let me explain something. Uh, In this region, there was a tradition that Greek gods had come. Remember, these are pagans. They were ignorant people. They were worshiping things that weren't gods as God. But there was a tradition that the Greek gods came down and asked people to give them hospitality. And a hundred people denied them. And one little couple gave them hospitality. And so what the Greek gods did is they came back and destroyed all the villages where they were refused hospitality. Now these were superstitious people, so they believed that. So as soon as they see them heal a guy that had never walked before, this superstition kicked in. And you know what they thought? Hey, let's not make the same mistake twice. Let's offer these guys some hospitality so that they don't destroy our village. So what did they do? They... they, (laughs) They bring out, they, they're going to offer a sacrifice to these guys. Look at this. Uh, verse um, 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you and we bring you good news, that's the gospel, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. How did God open this word of this, this door of faith through Paul and Barnabas? By preaching the truth. Now, Paul and Barnabas had probably been preaching for a while in Lystra. But his preaching, their preaching hadn't yet reached everybody. So he's been preaching Jesus Christ as Lord and Jesus alone as Lord, but they really didn't believe him. And so they're wanting to sacrifice to them. So then Paul preaches. He uses what's called general revelation. He says, guys, God left himself a witness. It's all around you. It's creation. There is only one God. Stop Worshipping these that are not gods. I'm talking to you about the God of creation who made heaven and earth. And then he talks about common grace. General revelation. God gives a witness of himself through nature. Common grace. He's saying, and God is good to the wicked and to the righteous. 
He sends rain on them both. What does that mean? God does good things to us. Back then, if you didn't have rain, you didn't eat because the rain you needed for the crops. So what he's saying is that God is the one who is pouring out this goodness upon the just and the unjust. He's a merciful God. That's how God opened this door of faith through Paul and Barnabas. And then skip all the way down to verse 22. At the end of verse 21. Verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How did God open a door of faith through Paul and Barnabas? They preached the gospel in Derby, and it says here, many disciples were made. And then when they were done preaching the gospel in Derby, if you put the map back up there, they then, they finished in Derby, they then retraced their steps through all the churches that had been planted in this area of Galatia and Pamphylia, and listen to what they did when they retraced their steps to all the churches. This is how God opened the door of faith. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. They appointed elders in every church, and then they prayed and fasted and committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They planted churches and they built churches. God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles using Paul and Barnabas to plant churches and to build churches, to strengthen them, to tell them, stay faithful to the word that we have preached to you, this, this word, this faith that we have preached. John Stott, commenting on this faith, the John Stott quote says this, Paul exhorted the church members to remain true to the faith. Okay, we just read that in verse 22. This is how this door of faith was opened by God using Paul and Barnabas. They preached the truth and then they went back through and they said to the disciples, stay, truth to the, stay true to this faith a recognizable body of doctrine which the apostles taught. It included the doctrines of the living God, the creator of all things, of Jesus Christ, his son, who died for our sins and was raised according to the scriptures, now reigns and will return. This is the stuff they taught. This is the stuff that we teach. We, we sang it this morning. And will return of the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer and animates the church of the salvation of God and of the new community of Jesus and the high standards of holiness and love he respects. They preach that we should be like Jesus. Stop your pagan ways. And he expects of the sufferings which are the path to glory and of the strong hope laid up for us in heaven. We sang about that hope. We preached about that hope. This is what our forefathers in the faith taught when they planted and built churches, this door of faith opening. This is how he's going to use us. He's going to use us to preach the truth. He's going to use us to encourage one another that through many tribulations we're going to enter the kingdom of God. We sang that. There is a day. The trouble's hard. It's only momentary. And we're looking at the unseen and the trouble's creating an eternal weight of glory for us. This door of faith is being opened. He's using us as he used them. Now, what did it cost them? What did it cost them? 
What did it cost them? What did it mean for them to walk through the door of faith? What did it mean for Jackie Robinson to walk through that door? It meant racial slurs. It meant violence. It meant horrible, horrible things in his life. His widow is alive today. Rachel Robinson is alive today. Do you know that Jackie Robinson died when he was only 53 years old? He died in 1972. This man who was a top athlete at UCLA, he was a four-sport athlete. He could have played professional football. He was an incredible running back. He was a strong man, a godly man. But the weight of what he went through, when God, he would say, when God used him to open that door to minorities in Major League Baseball, had an effect on him. And friends, here's the deal. When Paul and Barnabas walked through that door, it cost them. And it's going to cost us. I'm back to that opposition thing. I mean, it, it makes my little fight on Wednesday night seem silly, doesn't it? It is. But for me, it wasn't silly. And for you, it's not silly when you go through your oppositions. The principle's the same. But let's look at their opposition. How were they opposed? Well, let's go back. Go back to chapter 14. We mentioned this opposition. Look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So in Iconium, go back to the map, in Iconium, they're trying to kill them by throwing rocks at them. Now, this wouldn't be kind of the stoning that that Bentley described, this real traditional stoning of the Jews, where, you know, they put a person in a pit, and then the, the accuser would take a huge stone and just drop it on their head. Boom! So you had to do that if you accused them. Kind of made you think twice about accusing, right? And so, boom! And then everybody would be around him and just start pelting him with rocks. Bam! You typically did not survive that one. But what they would do here is they would just grab rocks and start throwing them at you. Still not a real great thing to have happen to you. Have you ever watched conflicts in the Middle East recently? Have you ever watched when the Palestinians are throwing rocks at the Israeli tanks? I mean, it's something you see in the Middle East a lot. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a form of disrespect toward that person. It's a form of rebellion. So what they were thinking is, let's, just, let's catch them when they're preaching on the street corner, and we all got a bunch of rocks, and we just start throwing the rocks at them. Well, they, they left quickly. But this gang catches up with them, finds them. So they wanted to do that in Iconium, they go to Lystra, which is not too far away. I think it's, I don't know, 10, 15 miles away. Now look what, go further down in chapter 14. Look what happened here. Verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Do you see that? Tell me you see that. Okay. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, what did they do? They stoned them. I mean, you got away from us in Iconium. We're going to get you in Lystra. And they got him. Read this. This is amazing. They, they, they stone Paul. They drag him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Ouch. I'm thinking he's bleeding pretty badly. Thinking he's probably unconscious. I mean, just dragging a guy back then. I mean, they didn't have a nicely paved street. You know, you had to, you know blood everywhere. They're dragging out. They just throw you outside the city. And they walk back in the city. But look at this. Look what happens. 
Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered around him, so they're, all the disciples are running around and they're gathering around him. Remember, this happened over a long period of time. It just didn't happen in one day. I mean, this whole thing where they wanted to sacrifice to them. Interesting, isn't it? It kind of reminds you of Jesus on the triumphal entry. Everybody's saying, Hosanna to Jesus. Hosanna to our king who's going to deliver us from Rome. He's the political king. And then when he disappoints them, five days later, they say, kill him. Interesting. They wanted to sacrifice bulls and oxen to these guys because they thought they were gods. And then when Paul preaches the truth to them, when Paul pays the price of opening the door of faith, when Paul says, you're wrong, and I rebuke you, and I say that God created all of this, stop it with the Zeus and Hermes thing. They don't exist. Oh, they don't exist, really. Well, let me tell you the tradition. They destroyed all those villages. It was probably a lightning storm, okay? But, you know, pagan, superstitious. You're going to tell me they exist? Okay, the guys we were going to worship as gods, kill them. Kill him right now. That's the price they paid. But look what happens. God raises him. Was he dead, dead? No. Was it a miracle? I think it was. Because look, they gather around him. They run out there. They gather around him. And what happens? Verse 20. But he rose up and entered the city. I don't know. I, I'm imagining his clothes are torn. Maybe his arm. Did you watch that guy break his leg, leg in the NCAA? Wasn't that nice, right? What's wrong? You a little squeamish on that one? You know, his bone was sticking out six inches. I don't know. Maybe stuff like that. And he's lying on the ground. And he just gets up and he just starts, he walks back in the city. Now, now, get this. He walks back into the city from where the people that just stoned him, they thought to death, live. I mean, that would be like Jackie Robinson. In baseball, I could hit a fastball. I'm Cuban, right? I mean, it just comes natural. (laughs) Big mouth and you can hit fastballs. It's a Cuban thing. But man, you throw me a curve and I'm gone. My foot's in the bucket. I'm one of these. You you blow a fastball down, it's gone. You throw me a curve and I'm gone. Why? Because I don't want to get hit by the ball. I'm a coward. But it's like in the movie Jackie Robinson, It's like Jackie's up there, and because he's black, they're trying to kill him. And he gets hit badly. And he gets back up, dusts himself off. I would not do that. Because I'm thinking, you win, pal. You're throwing 90 miles an hour. I cannot move fast enough. That thing hits my head back then. They wore no helmets. I'm dead. What courage that man had. And, of course, he not only got back up, but he was a star. They went to the World Series that first year, his rookie year. Sorry, that's a spoiler (laughs) if you didn't know that. It is history, though. Come on. Uh, So Paul, listen, Paul, much more courageously than Jackie Robinson, gets up, dusts himself off. They didn't just dust him back. They didn't just throw an inside fastball. They threw rocks at his head and left him for dead. And he gets up and he walks back in. Here I am. Here I am. And the Bible, I don't... Look, the the Bible says that the next day, look at that, verse um, 20, rose and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Corey Smidgen would know this. What is between Lystra and Derbe? A serious mountain range. Yep, a serious mountain range. Dude is left for dead on the ground. The next day he gets his backpack on and hikes a mountain to the next city. I think that's a miracle. (laughs) 
Because God opened a door of faith for them. God opened a door of faith through them to the Gentiles. God was working. And it's the same God that works today in us. That's what I want to tell you. And I want to share with you the scripture. The scripture about opposition that we're going to experience. The scripture about opposition that they experienced. We're not maybe are going to be called to do that. But the stuff we experience, we feel it just as much as Paul did. Don't we? But look at this scripture, that scripture in 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter 4, verse 7. Paul, who later would talk about this stoning, would later talk about the trials that he went through. Listen to how he interprets it. This is, this is good interpretation. This is great interpretation. This stuff is the stuff that helps you to say to Corey, yeah, Corey, you're right, I'm giving my money. Yeah, you're right, I'm sacrificing my life, my reputation, my time. It's not mine, it's God's. It's worth it. Let's go. Listen to what this says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That means we have it in fallen bodies and we're fallen people. We mess up all the time. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul and Barnabas say, stop sacrificing us. We're not Zeus and Hermes. We didn't heal this guy. Jesus healed him. The maker of heaven and earth, the creator that we're calling you to worship, healed him. Verse 8, but we are afflicted in every way. Oh, church, listen to me. I know you're afflicted. I'm afflicted. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. I'm perplexed by things that are happening right now in the movement of churches I belong. I'm perplexed by things that happen in our nation right now. I'm worried in the natural. I'm perplexed about many things. Friends, good friends have left, and I don't understand why, but I am not driven to despair. I may be persecuted, and it's coming, folks, but I'm not forsaken. I'm not forsaken. I'm not forsaken. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I may be struck down, but I'm not destroyed. You can knock me down, and I'll get up every time. You can knock me down and leave me for dead outside the gates of Lystra. And as God gives me the ability, I'm standing up and going back in the city. Why? Look at verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus, what we preached last week, the resurrection hope, may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always... Next slide. For we who live are always being given over to death. What? Yes. For Jesus' sake, I die to my flesh. I die to my desire to sit on that couch Wednesday night and just do whatever the heck I please. I die. I may literally one day die. Maybe you will too. But, but the deaths we are called to die are much more subtle, smaller, and more important, I think. If a man burst in here with a, a gun, I would hope... <laughs> Uh, that I would run at him and let him kill me so he wouldn't kill the rest of you and try to tackle him and knock him down. Because I don't fear death. But ask me to not watch that ball game on Saturday because I need to prepare the sermon more diligently. And it's available on my 27-inch iMac in my office because I can't see anymore. And also I can cut and paste two pages at the same time. With one click, I can live stream the game. Just being real with you. At that moment, am I willing to die? 
Some days, yes. Sadly, some days, no. But verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. What is God calling you to die to? Your opinion, your demand to be right, your demand to be, have the last word, your demand for closure, your demand to get what you want. Oh, friend, die. Let it go. That's what Corey was trying to say. That money will rot in your hands. Because it doesn't have the life of Christ. We always, we always are being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now I know Paul is speaking as an apostle here. I understand that, but the principle is the same. Jesus says you want to live, you die. You want to give, you get. You want to get, you give. <laughs> you, want, you want to be served, you serve. You want to go up, you go down. This is what it's going to cost us. In conclusion, (laughs) the resurrected Lord Jesus opens a door of faith that no man can shut. You can just put that one up there, Matt. The resurrected Lord Jesus opens a door of faith that no man can shut. Opening slide, main point of the sermon. And he uses us to do it. How? Well, here's some thoughts. Recently, I know that the Cook and the Gonzalez community groups had movie nights in their neighborhoods. It cost them. I don't know the follow-up. I've heard some pretty cool things. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to open this door of faith that no one can shut. Here's the idea. We, we sacrifice what we want to do to gather with other believers to do things because the life of Christ is in us. And as we invite other people to see the life of Christ in us, then they say, what's that life in you? And we're able to preach the gospel to them. It's the way the Lord seems to use us at Palm Vista. I'd like to get back to doing it more, formally and informally. The Cooks and the Gonzaleses had a great idea. Talk to them, people in their community group. This coming Saturday, we have an upcoming beach day, the Mora community group is inviting everybody to come. Right, Sergio? <laughs> Whoops. Sergio. <laughs> hey, invite somebody. Let's get together. Let's go to John U. Lloyd State Park. Let's grill. Let's have fun. Let's be real. Let's talk about this sermon while we're just hanging out and doing whatever. Let's let people see the life of God in us. A door of faith is being opened. And then people say, hey, can we talk to you about that? I understand there was a His House outreach a couple of Sundays ago. I was not able to go, um, but the youth, I think, put it on. And um, I heard it was an incredible event. It wasn't church-wide, but the youth were spearheading it. Young people were ministered to. These, these children who are disaffected, disenfranchised, they've been abandoned by everybody. It was joy. We got together. The church was built. We built relationships. With it. You guys had fun, and then you ministered to people. Door of faith is being opened. Door of faith is being opened. Door of faith is being opened. I understand that um, on Easter Saturday, the Saturday before Easter, so a week ago yesterday, the Smidgens did a resurrection egg outreach at their house where they had the opportunity to share the gospel with children from six unbelieving households in their neighborhood. 
So you preach the gospel through this little deal, Easter egg hunt, and then the resurrection egg. Corey then gave the resurrection egg outreach tool to the Abegs, uh, Kevin and Claudia, and then they used it on Easter afternoon luncheon at Gary Beecham, Gary and Ashley Beecham's house, who assist them in, in the community group. And the gospel was shared with many internationals, because Gary and Ashley work with a lot of internationals at the University of Miami. They have a lot of impact on people that, that you know, have never heard this story. Many of these people have never heard the resurrection story. They never heard the Easter story. So they use that to share the story. And every person, if I get this correct, I got this secondhand. So every person, or let's just say almost every person in the community group had one-on-one gospel conversations or prayer with the guests afterwards. I don't have time to go through all of it. You get the picture? But on your way to that, guess what you're going to experience? Opposition. But God is able to overcome that opposition. God is able to overcome it. There's a baseball player named Bob Oliver. He has a son named Darren Oliver. I remember Darren Oliver. He's a reliever. I think he's still pitching for Toronto. And Bob Oliver broke into the major leagues in the 60s. And this is Bob Oliver's testimony recently. Or this is about Bob Oliver. As he walked through the airport with his teammates, Bob Oliver noticed a familiar face. He had never met the woman, but he approached her and introduced himself. They shook hands. The conversation was cordial and brief. He told her he admired her husband as a baseball player and a man. She said, thank you. So did he. Quoting Bob Oliver, I don't get excited about too many things, but I got excited about that, Oliver recalls. I shook hands with the wife of the great Jackie Robinson. Bob Oliver remembers much about the racism he experienced in the minor leagues 40 years ago, but he does not remember the year of his brief chat with Rachel Robinson, except that it was probably in the early 70s when he was playing for the Kansas City Royals. He spent eight years in the majors and enjoyed some good years as a corner infielder and outfielder. He is 70 now still coaching youth teams in California with his older son, Tony. His younger son also made a nice career in baseball. His name is Darren. He's a 42-year-old relief pitcher for Toronto Blue Jays, starting his 20th big league season. April 15th marks the 66th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's Major League debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers. As Robinson was reporting for the spring training of his historic 1947 season, Bob Oliver was turning four years old. Quote, Bob Oliver now. It was tough to play baseball back in that day, Oliver says. There was a lot of racism in baseball. I understood more and more of what Jackie had to go through uh, the older I got and the more I started to read about him. He went through hell. No power of hell, no scheme of man can close this door. But he opened the door for ballplayers like myself and the other black ballplayers before me. Isabella did not know we dedicated her this morning. Bob Oliver didn't know Jackie Robinson broke in on April 15, 1947. He was four years old. But Bob Oliver benefited from it. Who will benefit from you and me taking up the mantle, being used by God to open a door of faith in our community, though it'll cost us? Let's pray. Worship team, come up. Lord God, I pray that you would give us courage Lord God, that you are filling us with your Holy Spirit and that you are enabling us, Lord God, to walk through this door that you are opening through us. Lord, that we would not be impressed with the opposition, but we would be impressed with you who overcomes the opposition. 
We would not be impressed with all the darkness that is around us and the things that would threaten us, but we would be impressed by the light of Jesus Christ shining in our hearts. We would be impressed by the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, Father, let us see the unseen. Let us believe what you say. Let us shut the mouth of the lies of the world, our flesh, and Satan. Lord, we stand and we say that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand, nor shut this door of faith that only you can open. And we stand, we report for duty. Lord, we say, use us. It's opening day tomorrow. May we get out on the field and walk through the door, trusting you, Savior, and the Spirit that you've sent. Oh, Holy Spirit, sir, fill us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that we might bear testimony of Jesus. Let's stand and sing in Christ alone as our final song. What the Word of God says. In Romans chapter 16. Are we on? Romans 16. Great. Start again. Look this way from the benediction. (laughs) This is what God's word says to you if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer, repent and believe. Come see me afterwards. I'll talk to you about it. You need to repent. There's only one God, creator of heaven and earth. And believe in Jesus Christ, his son. Come talk to me. Most important thing you need to do. But if you are a believer... Here is the benediction for you, friends. Look this way. This is our promise. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, dear friends, be with you. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming. If you're a first-time guest, I'd like to say hi to you right through these doors.